Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey everybody, welcome back to another epic episode of For the Love of Money. Now, check this out. I am jacked because I am sitting down today with such a good, successful friend, Dr. Jade Tita. Now, listen, even though Jade is a doctor, he is probably the most well-studied dude I know in every area of life, whether it's emotions, whether it is the body, whether it is business, whether whether it is money mindset. I mean, he is a brilliant individual, and that is why I am so excited to pick his brain and bring it to you today. I mean, we dive right in and we get to the reasons why we tend to succeed or not and what our motivations are to be successful. We talk about how to break or embrace the stories that we tell ourselves in our head about success. We talk about how and what you should be reading in order to be successful. And we go really deep on men versus women. How do each of us view wealth and success? And is it better to be in your feminine or in your masculine in order to succeed in business and to gain wealth? So seriously, sit down, get ready, pay attention, do whatever you need to do in order to dive in with us because this episode is freaking incredible. Jade, brother, I'm so freaking excited to have you on and just chat everything, business, money, life. You're one of the guys who's like most in touch with emotion. We're going to go there. I'm pumped. How you doing, bud? Good, brother. What's going on, man? I miss you, man. I know, I know. Okay, we got to get together soon. Actually, I didn't even ask you when we were just chatting. Are you in Santa Monica right now or North Carolina right now? No, I'm in Santa Monica. I'll be here until uh, November, then I go home to hang with my family a little bit. Okay. Get back in touch with the, with the roots. We're making plans, but we won't do it on here. Otherwise, everyone's going to show up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That'll be fun. Actually, we should. We should do a meetup. We should do a meetup. All right, man. So let's do this. Um, obviously, you've worked with over 10,000 000- in-person clients, over hundreds of thousands of people online through your courses, your videos, all that stuff. You built this awesome supplement company. You've written books. You're a master online marketer. You name it. But before we get there, we kind of need to know where you came from and how you got there. So give us the background. Who are you? What do you stand for? Where'd you come from? The good stuff. Yeah, you know, it was funny. I came up in a very uh, close-knit Italian-American family, and we were, you know, we were basically lower middle class, you know, and uh, I was born in uh, uh, Long Island, New York, so I'll tell you a little bit about my accent first. I know people listening to this and be like, what's up with this guy's accent? So I was born in New York and raised by uh, parents that were basically raised in, in Manhattan, Then I moved to the South, North Carolina, so that's where you get the little Southern draw from, and then, you know, basically I was into hip-hop and um, all of that stuff. Actually, you know, I never told you this, Chris, but uh, back in the day in junior high school, my nickname was Kid Fresh. I had turntables and everything. No. So, so you get <laughs> so you get a little bit of northern, southern, and a little bit of uh, you know sort of thug when you when you hear my accent. But the interesting thing, I grew up, uh, and this will sort of get into the money mindset stuff. It's like I grew up, uh, 
lower middle class. And I kind of grew up um, with sort of this very uh, budgeting mindset around money, number one, and scarcity mindset around money, number two. And uh, I also uh, grew up with sort of, um, I, I wonder if people listening, and I wonder if you too, Chris, ever had this. You know, I grew up with two older brothers and an older sister. And my mother and father, of course, they didn't do this on purpose, but my older brother was always sort of seen as or lauded for being the smart one. My middle brother was always sort of seen and sort of uh, told he was the good looking one. And then, of course, my sister was the only girl. And then I was, you know, sort of the jock, the good football player. And it's interesting about how our stories uh, will impact what we do in life. Right. So I just took on this persona as the class clown, the sort of, uh, you know, the jock. And back then there was this idea of the dumb jock. And uh, that's kind of how I lived, you know, sort of my early years, junior high, high school, and really did not do well in school. And I missed something like 60, 60 days my junior year of high school. And I remember my dad sat me down at the beginning of my senior year and basically said, look, you know, every other one of my kids has been successful um, with school and has gone on to college. And you're just you're messing up, man. You, you need to you know, figure out what you want to do. And, you know, it's probably a, who knows how long it was uh, between these two events. But I had another event where my high school, my high school English teacher told me I was going to flunk out and I was essentially a stupid jock. And um, those two events basically uh, sort of, I think, sort of changed things for me and, and made me kind of sit back and be like, look, I mean, I have this thing that I believe about people. And I know from talking to you, I think you have it, too, that I believe that we since we're young, we have, you know, sort of dreams of being great. We, we dream. We, you know, sometimes we pretend we want to be cowboys or we want to be, you know, uh, football stars or famous people or famous musicians and we, we just know that we're meant for something great. We just might not know what it is. And that's kind of how I felt. And I decided sort of in that moment, this is my beginning of my senior year, that I wanted to do something uh, that would mean something. And uh, I decided I needed to be something different. So the funny thing is, man, I started dressing different. I started wearing different clothes. I started reading books, not because I wanted to read books at the time, but just because I saw smart people read books. So I started reading different books and things like that. I even went out and purchased myself a pair of glasses. I'll never forget this. And they, you know, I didn't, I didn't need glasses at the time. And they just had you know, blank frames in them. But <laughs> something uh, in me sort of wanted to be perceived differently and wanted to see myself differently, needed to see myself differently. And that was the beginning of um, you know, sort of this journey where I was like, I'm going to be something, do something. Uh, that's going to, you know, make me happy and, uh, you know, make a difference. And I'll tell you one other thing, and then I'll, I'll shut up here. But one other thing that happened to me along the way is I also had this idea from a little kid. I remember telling my dad that he said, you know, he would ask me, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'd be like, I don't really want to do anything. I want to just do what I want to do. And, you know, coming from sort of he was a grinder and a middle class worker, he was just like, well, that's not how <laughs> that's not really how. The world works. But he also gave me the message that I could do anything I wanted. So even though he was unsure, I was pretty sure that's what I wanted to be. So now fast forward to where I am today. And it's funny to basically see that in that moment, at the beginning of my senior year, people get these sort of events uh, at different times. I started making a plan to get right where I am. And today I basically wake up and do what I want and get to put out information that makes a difference and just love my life. And so 
Um, that kind of gives you sort of a, a fast forward through my life. Now, of course, through that, there was a lot of pain, suffering, figuring it out, um, you know, getting beat up, uh, you know, uh, being confused as hell, uh, not knowing which direction I was going to go, near bankruptcies, you know, um, all of that stuff, you know, a divorce along the way and all that kind of things. Life happens. And I think if there's one difference uh, about me and other people I see who, you know, sort of do a lot of this work. It's that all of that stuff where it was painful as hell in the moment, um, I did learn to use it to my positive advantage. And actually now I wouldn't change it for the world. This is kind of fascinating. So I feel like I just, you know, I've spent so much time around you and I've known you for years now. And this is all so much new information for me. Okay. So the first place I want to go is this growing up, you said you were kind of pigeonholed into the dumb jock and um, you weren't known as the smart one and you weren't known as the one that was going to be successful. That blows my mind because when I look at you, when anyone looks at you, you, you know, you're, you're muscle bound and you, you, you know, you, you, you look one way, but then a, you're a doctor. And if there was anyone I was going to go to when I had an ailment to get the real story, it'd be you. And you're one of the most studied, more, you know, well-read people I've ever met. So it's really fascinating to me to think that you were pigeonholed one way. But now as an adult, I know you as a totally different way. And you said that was a choice. What age was yeah. that when you said it was a choice to start getting the fake glasses and, and trying to become more studious? Yeah, that was right at uh, 18 years old, right going in from 17 to my 18th, uh, 18th birthday. And I, you know, I think I was just very aware of it. Uh, and I just wanted to do and be something different. Now, here's the interesting thing, man, right? Like, I think we all know. I knew I was smart. Just no one else knew it, Right. And uh, the truth of the matter is, I don't even know if anyone else knew it or not. I just know that the story I was telling myself was that I wasn't smart because I was looking at my older brother and I was looking at uh, other friends and I was comparing myself to people. And I was basically being like, dude, you run you run for touchdowns and, and tackle people. That's what you do. And you're strong. That's who you are. But. Uh, at some point, I had to be like, "Nah, dude, you are you're smart as well. Uh, and you're wasting your gifts by telling yourself this story of the dumb jock story. And so this, this it's funny now looking back because now, you know, through research, they've actually shown that, you know, actually athletics make people more intelligent and uh, exercise makes people more intelligent, has all these benefits on the brain. But back then, that's not really how we saw things. It's like, you know, if you focus all your effort on sports, you're not that smart. And so I just told myself a different story. I was basically like, I can be smart and be a great athlete as well. And luckily, I did have some role models. My brother, uh, my brothers were both that. And so once I started looking around, I started to find examples of what I wanted to be. But until I started knowing there was a problem with my story, I didn't even see it. You know what I mean? It, it's really interesting how that happens. We get ourselves in these stories we tell ourselves these stories. Sometimes the stories aren't even written by us. They're written by our family and our culture and our friends. And then all of a sudden we wake up one day and for some reason turn the corner and see, I've been telling myself this story. I don't want to tell myself that story anymore. Are there other stories to be told? And all of a sudden, once you ask yourself that question, you start seeing uh, other examples that you could be new possibilities for being right like you know just being able to be something else and uh i was lucky enough to see through my story it's a lot like the movie the matrix it's one of my favorite movies you know you wake up from this dream and you're like this reality i'm living in is not real 
And the only difference is I have a say-so to change it if I want versus no one else is going to do it for you. I'm fascinated about this story thing and, and because it's what holds so many people back. Now, your story was that you were missing X, Y, and Z. So it made you go out and turn those into strengths or become that. Other people, and I mean a lot of people, they have a similar story that they're missing X, Y, and Z. And that's why they never go accomplish anything. That's why they never start the company. That's why they never achieve what they know in their heart they're supposed to achieve. So why did your story of missing something make you go get it? And so many other people whose story that they're missing something stops them in their tracks. What's the difference? Yeah, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I don't exactly know the answer to that question, but I can tell you some of my thoughts on this. One of the things that um, I, I don't know why this story comes to mind, but I'll tell you guys this because I think it's exactly the reason why it worked for me. But, you know, I remember the first, I was a little kid and the first football game I was going to play my dad took a pencil and he put it uh, on his middle finger and then laced his other two fingers on top. I don't know if anyone's ever seen this, but he basically braced a pencil between his middle finger on the bottom and his other two fingers, his index finger and his ring finger over top of it. So if you hit your hand, it's almost like breaking your finger, right? So he told me, he said, look at, look at this, Jade. I want you to look at this. Now, if I don't hit my hand hard enough on the table, this pencil is going to break my finger. Of course, he was being, <laughs> he was exaggerating, but he's like, I will hurt myself if I don't hit this hard enough. But if I hit it hard enough, I'm going to snap the pencil in half. And he slammed his hand down on the table. Of course, the pencil broke and it made an impact on me. I was like seven years old or whatever. And he said, always basically attack your fears. And when you're on the football team, you need to hit the other person harder. Do not hesitate. Right. And so for me, I think that sort of translated over. It's like one of the differences is when I was afraid, I would always do what most humans did. I would hesitate for a minute, but then I would sort of remember. It's like, you know, I have no option. You know, my fears aren't going to go away. No one, no one became less fearful by avoiding their fear. So I have to charge into it, just like on the football field. And I think that's just a mindset. And what happens is the first time you do it, you might get knocked down. You might even get bruised and hurt. And then you do it again and you may get knocked down again. But at some point you break through and you're like, oh, this concept of resilience, this idea that you just keep attacking if you really want it and you have to accept the suffering that comes along with it is uh, is the key. And I think that it's your ability to tolerate suffering and to realize that. You know, I just did a post on my Instagram feed about this, that suffering is a fact of life, that if you don't attack, you're going to suffer because you didn't attack. And if you do attack, you might suffer, yeah, because you might get beat up, but you're going to suffer either way. So you might as well suffer uh, for what you choose. And I basically was just like, this is what I want. I'm going to suffer if I don't do it. So I'll attack it. And I think um, that is the key that I've seen with most people who are successful. They're just like, this is uh, what I am uh, put on this earth to do, basically. I do believe that. And therefore, I'm not going to be denied. And that, that was something I learned in sports. You know, one of the things I love about sports is, you know, you can, and I know you love football, you love the Packers, and, you know, I played that sport and loved it. You know, you don't have to play football, but ultimately, one of the things about sports is you train your hardest. You study the best. You do everything you possibly can. You play the best game ever 
and you still get your ass beat. And that to me is uh, exactly what happens as an entrepreneur, exactly what happens as you're trying to make it, exactly what happens in life. And we have to develop a tolerance for that. And the only way that we can get that tolerance is to just plunge head first into these situations. And I think that is the secret, but you and I both know that is a very rare, rare thing. I'll say one, one more thing here. How do you cultivate that? To me, it's not necessarily just with money or physical activities. It's basically putting yourself in uncomfortable situations all the time, having uncomfortable conversations, taking uncomfortable risks, uh, you know, doing uncomfortable things with your physical body, exposing yourself to uncomfortable situations through travel. And all of a sudden, the uncomfortable becomes more comfortable and that becomes your way of life. And all of a sudden you get this positive spiral upward. I think that's the key. Man, we've heard this from success, successful people a lot, right? This is not new stuff. Hit your fears harder than they, they hit you. Get out of your comfort zone as much as possible. Build that muscle. That is why you turned your weaknesses into strengths and why other people are not. And I know it seems like we hear that same advice over and over and over again. How do we finally get someone to actually go do it? You know, if they didn't have a dad that raised them that way like you did, then what's the next best thing? Just tap into podcasts? Like, like how do we get people to actually take that advice and act on it? Yeah, I have. You know, it's funny. I don't know if you know this, but I'm doing a lot of high-end uh, coaching with CEOs and a couple, couple, couple people that you guys, would, everyone would know, you know, high-end, high-end successful individuals. And I use this model. Um, it's basically called the six powers and you know, it's an acronym. So powers, the first P is for perception, which is changing your story. And the second O is for ownership, which is deciding what you stand for. For someone who wasn't raised by someone like my dad, that's essentially the two first steps that I take all my people through and I think are the things that most successful people either figure out by accident or are taught by mentors or who pick up along the way. Essentially, the first part is you have to see yourself differently. I had to go from someone who was like, I am a lower middle class um, you know, jock who's not that smart to someone who is, uh, you know, a jock, super smart, can do whatever I want, and I am, you know, essentially, uh, you know, a warrior. That's kind of, I, I, I identify with that story. So I basically uh, sort of inject that story into myself. What is a warrior? Not a warrior that goes and fights a war, but a warrior who has something that they fight for, that they will give their life for, their purpose, right? So I basically... Uh, embody that warrior thing in everything I do, in the way I train, in the way I have conversations, in the way I attack money. One of the clients I'm working for right now, we did, or working with right now, we did uh, his sort of uh, ethos, and he basically was like, I want to be like the bionic man. And he basically draws a story around that and brings that ethos into everything he does. The ownership piece then is about what do you stand for? How are you going to show up in the world? See, here's the interesting thing, right? Most people, when it comes to money and success, they, they do it, in my mind, for three reasons. It's, it's sort of like the three Ps. They either do it for pleasure because they want pleasurable things, or they do it for power and status, or they do it for purpose. Now, pleasure and you know, sort of power, you can get a, really far with that. But purpose, owning your purpose, creating what you stand for, when you bring that to the, to the table, that allows you to... Uh, you know, sort of bring this warrior ethos out or allows you to be strong when you're 
when you feel weak or allows you to overcome your fears when you, uh, you know, are scared to death, which we all are. And so I don't think, I think the problem is a lot of people don't, uh, you know, take the time to do this. They don't take the time to say, what is the story I'm going to tell about myself? And how do I want to show up in the world? For example, you know, Chris, I know Chris, you guys know Chris from listening to his podcast. I know him to be uh, probably one of the most generous people I've ever met. Um, those of you who know him know this about him. Uh, somewhere along the way, I bet you Chris purposely said to himself, I choose generosity. It's something that I will stand for, I will fight for, I will bleed for because I believe in it. And I think that was conscious. We can. I, I want to ask you, Chris, if it was, but same with me. Uh, I consciously said these will be the things that I fight for. And it's really interesting, right, because it has nothing to do with money, yet it seems to bring money your way. <laughs> I don't know why that's the case, but step one is Tell you tell the story and own it. Uh, tell the story, change your perception, and then own it. And that begins the process because when you have a strong purpose, you're going to do whatever it takes, and you're going to confront any fear, and you're going to get up from any knockdown. It's just the way it works. It's funny you said you wanted to ask me, um, you know, whether it was a conscious decision to be generous or not. It was always in my DNA somehow, I'm sure it had something to do with my parents and my upbringing and the stories I told, who knows what, but the conscious decision was I wanted to amplify it. Like I wanted to do it bigger. I wanted to do it louder. This podcast is an example of it because I wanted more people doing it and I, I wanted people to be more aware of it. So like my conscious decision was not to attain it, but to amplify the hell out of it. And that's kind of, it's funny because when you're talking about the pleasure versus power versus purpose and you know, it's one of those three reasons why we do what we do. I, I get pleasure from generosity, but the purpose that it gives me is even better than the pleasure. But I definitely get both of them or do it for both of those reasons. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about that, too, is and because of that, you get the power. And I, I think that's my point is that you can go after pleasure. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, actually. I mean, I, I, there's plenty of things I do for pure pleasure. You can go after power. I actually don't think there's much wrong with that either. There's a lot of good that can come out of someone who is powerful. However, when you approach it from a purpose first, I call it meaning over money, mind, you know, sort of mindset. I think what happens is you automatically will get the pleasure and the power out of that. For example, once you're following, chasing your purpose, you'll wake up and do it for free because it's just what you feel called to do. And that gives you pleasure, more pleasure than nice cars and fancy travel and all that kind of stuff. And then as a result of that, you build clout and you have sort of this place of power where people look at you and they say, uh, wow, I want to be more like that. And by the way, I don't think that power comes from the fact that you have lots of things. We all know what it's like to be in the presence of someone powerful, irregardless of money or what they succeeded, uh, you know, how they succeeded. And it comes from someone who is very clear in why the hell they are here and what they are doing. Usually it's, you know, that very charismatic person, you know, it's someone who's present and powerful and coming at it from a strong purpose. And so to me, it's really interesting, right? So at some point you realized I would do this anyway. I'm a generous guy anyway, but now I'm going to choose to make it my part of my purpose. And I think that's another issue that people have is that they think purpose is something you stumble upon. I don't think so. I think purpose is something you consciously create. You say, you know, I'm a generous person, but now I'm going to make it part of my purpose to 
make it almost like a religion. Kindness, generosity is almost like a religion for me now. It's just what I choose to put out in the world. And I know you're similar to that. I think it's, we can get in these philosophical discussions, right? And anyone listening might be like, yeah, yeah, I've kind of heard this things before. I've heard people talk around this. What's interesting about that, when you hear something over and over and over again, you have to sort of understand that it is indeed, in my mind, the first step to, come to becoming successful. Yet people hear it, and then they skip over it. And they think it's about this to do over there, or this thing over here, or this magical marketing technique I learned over here. Meanwhile, they heard you and I talk about this. They've heard it on other podcasts. They've read it in books. Yet they still won't sit down and write it out and essentially say, what do I stand for? What are my signature strengths? What am I going to use these for? What is my purpose, my meaning above everything else? What would I be doing for free uh, without even getting paid? And I think you'll find the beginning of your power in that. You just mentioned something. You said, you know, we start to hear things over and over again but we're not yet practicing them. And, and that's kind of the first step is hearing it over and over and over again before we start practicing these things. Now, you just sold your company, one of your companies. Congratulations, by the way. And Thank that's you, a brother. huge <laughs> deal. It's amazing. It's a massive success story. But what's cool is it was basically a result of you getting back to implementing something that you hadn't been doing yet was common sense and you knew worked. You want to tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's funny. Um, this, this kind of this actually blew me away. I, I'll tell you guys. I don't know how many of you have done visualization work and manifestation work, but um, you know, when I was, I told you the story about me as a kid dressing differently, putting different glasses on, and all that kind of stuff. That's before I understood, you know, psychology. There's a concept. I think it's called enclosed cognition, which essentially means the way you dress can influence the way you think and influence the way other people think around you and perceive you. This, this psychology is you know, sort of really interesting. And I didn't understand it at the time, but I started to study more and more and get into psychology around the same time, maybe a couple years later. I minored in psychology in undergrad and read every self-help, self-development, self-actualization book that was out at that time. And one of the things that I kind of came across is this idea of visualiz- visualizing and manifest- manifestation. Uh, way before The Secret, many of you know that book, The Secret, And one of the ways that you did this is you basically, um, I would write out uh, what I wanted to have uh, happen in my life. And then I would uh, sort of dwell on it, the feelings. uh, And that was the important part, the feelings of what it would feel like to have it. And then I would go out and do uh, the things that were needed to be done. For example, I decided in, uh, and I'll get to the point here in a minute because I think this is important background, but I decided I wanted to be a writer. Now, you can imagine from someone coming from the dumb jock story to then be a writer and an author uh, is kind of a big leap. And it was a big leap in a lot of people's minds. I also wanted to be a doctor. and It was a big leap for a lot of people to see me as a physician as well. I started seeing myself as a writer and I said, but yeah, but what do writers do? Well, writers read all the time and they write all the time. So I wrote, physically wrote almost every day now, it's been, I don't know how many years that I read and I write, I read and I write, I read and I write. And that's what I did. And I also manifested and visualized seeing my book um, as a New York Times bestseller or seeing uh, my uh, first paycheck from my publisher or visualizing a bank account that had a certain amount of money and all the things that I would do. I even started going to fancy uh, meals and 
hotels and all that kind of stuff before I had the money to do it so I can get a taste of what it really felt like to immerse myself in that. And I was telling Chris before we got on, I was saying, you know, it's really interesting what happened is I caught myself a couple years ago. I was sitting there. Actually, it's not even a couple years ago. It's, you know, how? When, what is it? Maybe, maybe nine months ago. I caught myself in this place where I was like, you know, everything I ever visualized back then has come true. You know, I wake up every day. I do what I want to do. I write. I have, uh, you know, two published books. Uh, you know, I have actually I have four published books now. Um, and I have all this work, this body of work, and I get to do everything I want. But I haven't visualized or manifested anything in years. And so I decided to sit down and start doing that work again. And four days, not kidding you guys, four days, what I decided is I'm like, you know, I want to sell my company Metabolic Effect eventually. And I started planning out, you know, sort of a, a plan to do that in the next five to 10 years and uh, was visualizing it four days. My online publisher calls me um, and one of the things I said is I knew that I was going to have to, in order for me to get my dream and sell my company, I was going to have to give up something. So one of the things I did was I was like, I'm not going to be working with my publisher anymore. I'm just going to tell them, hey, love you guys, but got to move in a different direction. So what happens, do you think? Four days later, they call me. They want to meet. They Basically, we all meet up out in North Carolina. They fly in. And next thing I know, I'm selling my company to them, you know, merging my company with them for a deal that, you know, um, kind of blew my mind. And I, I'm like, my mind, here's what we do. Oh, it's coincidence. Oh, it's just so happened to be that way. Or we kind of dismiss it away. But this wasn't, this was in my mind, an example of, you know, essentially magic happening in the world, simply from using these things that look that I didn't make up that I learned from other people. Um, and you can learn these things too, and begin to apply them and it's your belief. It really is the strength of your belief that makes the difference. It's just like I was telling you about, you know, the, the football, you know, analogy, getting knocked down, getting back up, doing this, doing that, putting up uh, your best, having to deal with your worst. And all of a sudden you start to trust that this is all part of the process. And this essentially happened for me. Seems like it happened out of nowhere. But in a sense, I was priming myself for this my whole life. It's absolutely fascinating to do something as big as selling a company for a massive deal simply because you got back to visualization. That, if people need any proof that this stuff that you hear about works on a regular basis, I mean, gosh, what more do you need, right? It even, Chris, it even blew me away, man. I mean, in a sense, I'll be honest with everyone and I'll be honest with you, I don't even believe it. Even now, I don't believe it. Even now, I have the tendency to be like, ah, it was coincidence. It was this and that. And, and then I have to remind myself, Jade, you've been doing this your whole life. When are you going to start believing that it's not just coincidence? It's funny how we're built to discount the miracles that happen in life. Isn't that weird? It's very strange. It's, it's that natural human uh, you know, delusion that we have. We, we are deluded into thinking that we're – this is the way I look at it, by the way. When I coach, I coach people on success, I essentially say, look, we humans have a natural state of delusion. What I mean by that is we are delusional on both ends of, of the spectrum. We are delusional in terms of we can be so insecure and not believe in ourselves. And we're delusional on the fact that we can sometimes overhype ourselves and get too ahead of ourselves and think we're too great. And the trick is to find the you know sort of top of the bell-shaped curve between insecurity and delusion. What you want to be is you want to be delusional enough 
to believe that you are powerful and that you can do anything in life, but insecure enough to be humble and confidently detached. And it seems like, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, I don't know what, what, what the people who are listening to this beliefs are. My beliefs are, you know, people call it the universe. They call it whatever you want to call it. But to me, it seems like the law of the universe works that way. You have to find, constantly work to find that balance. Can't be too insecure and not believe in yourself. Can't be too arrogant and think you've got it all figured out. You have to find that balance. And when you do, it seems like that's when the things start falling into place. And if I had one phrase for it, I would call it uh, confidently detached. You know, when I'm visualizing and trying to manifest, I know where I'm trying to go, but I am somewhat detached for what it's going to look like. Uh, you get too attached to something. That's one thing I've learned in business. You get too attached to something. Same thing in romance. Same thing with money. Uh, you're asking for trouble. You want to kind of be confident in the direction you're going, but detached in the way you get there. Something that just came to mind, I want to get your opinion on is I've often thought that even when we start to do things like visualization and all the things that we're visualizing start to happen, the reason why we discount them as, nah, it's coincidence is because we really don't want the responsibility of knowing that the good and the bad or our success or lack of success really does come down to us controlling it or not, because that could be a scary sense of responsibility. Do you think? I think that is exactly uh, what happens. And, and I think it goes a little further than that because we, we know, right? There's two things that we know. We, we know that um, we, we, we are in a world with others. We are not islands unto ourselves. And so in a sense, that becomes a very easy thing for us to be like, well, it's because of this or because of this circumstance or this person. But then we also have this sense that it doesn't, matter. I, I'm 100% in charge. And we bounce back and forth between these two things where it's like people, things, events are happening to me. Um, the people who are successful go, yep, certainly all this stuff is happening to you all the time, but you have to happen back to life in a very big way. You have to take responsibility for that. You know, it's funny, the, the, uh, the Hawaiians have a, a tradition where they would take responsibility for anything and everything that came into their sphere of influence. So, you know, you, you hear people talking about radical responsibility and that kind of stuff. This, this kind of came from, my understanding is from the Hawaiian, part of the Hawaiian tradition. Uh, they would take responsibility for everything. If they saw someone sick, they would take responsibility for that. If they saw, you know, uh, uh, you know something bad happen to the tribe, they would take responsibility for that. And it's one of the ways that they all sort of uh, kind of came together as part of their magic of their culture. Well, I think we have to sort of do the same thing. We have to realize that, yes, we have things happening to us all the time, but we have the ability to happen in a very big way back. Here's the one thing I'd say about this, though. The reason we get in trouble is because we don't always see the fruits of our labor at that moment in time. In fact, they often come much, much later. And that uh, really, really bothers us in a sense because we have, uh, you know, our ego gets in the way. And it's like, I want credit. I want, uh, you know, I want it now. It's like we're like these little babies stomping our feet. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me now. And that's why I say purpose is so uh, important because for you and people like you and me and people like me and many of the people listening to this, the, the pleasure in giving something or doing my work 
it comes from the act of giving and the act of doing nothing else. It doesn't depend on anyone else or any other circumstance. And once you get to that point, that's what I mean by happening back to life in a very big way. It doesn't matter uh, what is going on around you. You know what you stand for. It's sort of the anchor and the lighthouse in the storms of life. That's why I think it does come back to this sort of perception and ownership of what you stand for. And again, many people will gloss over that or they'll or the, or you know what they'll do, Chris, they'll, they'll sort of, um, you know, put it off on something else. They'll they'll basically let let someone else co-opt. it. They'll read a book and be like, oh, this will be my belief. Well, they'll get excited about something they heard someone else say and they'll be like, that's my belief. Or they'll see a quote that they really like and they'll be that's my belief. And so we have a very. Uh, interesting way of picking up on these things and be like, oh, that will be my take on things instead of being like, what do I really feel about this? Or how does this really fit into my purpose? That to me is what makes all the difference in the world. Man, that's powerful. You've now mentioned books three times. I think the count is in the stories you're telling and all that. You're a massive reader, just like me. What effect have books had on your business and your financial life? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it can't even be quantified, really. You know, here's the way I would describe this. You know, like if if uh, you got stranded on a desert island, Chris, like what would happen, right? If you're by yourself for, let's say, you know, several years, you haven't had any human contact, you're going to become delusional in your thinking. You're going to become circular in your thinking. You're going to become, uh, you know, crazy to a degree. This is why, you know, solitary confinement and things like that are so hard for humans, one of the thing, one of the reasons why people around us are so powerful is because we can bounce ideas off of them and get new ideas from them. Well, a book is literally like downloading someone else's wisdom into your head. It keeps you from circular thinking. It it gets you uh, to um, get out of your own, uh, you know, sort of wrong thinking. And here's here's the way I would read. By the way, I'll tell you one of the things. I'll tell you guys a story that taught me how this works. I used to be a vegetarian and a pretty militant one at that. And people would, uh, and I and I picked it up from reading. You know, people read a book and they're like, "Oh, this is the way." You know, these books become your Bible. And what happened to me was, I read this book on vegetarianism, and I got in an argument with a couple meat eaters, and they were saying that's not the way it is. And my ego got in the way, so I said, "I'm going to read some of their stuff, some of their books, so that I can poke holes in their arguments." Well, what do you think happened when I read their books? The, the arguments that the, that the holes got poked in were my own. And all of a sudden, you know, this whole new world and opened up to me. And I was like, that's an interesting perspective. That's cool. And so I always remember that because books are not necessarily about getting new ideas so I can have ideas that Chris doesn't have. It's about exposing yourself to your own bias and dogma. And the reason I bring that up is because if you're reading all the books that only agree with you and you're not reading any of the books that don't, I think you're missing something. And so I've read a ton of books and now I always try to seek out the books that challenge my beliefs. And those are the ones, the ones that get me angry, the ones that get me asking questions, the ones that are like, I don't agree with this. Those are the ones that are most powerful because to me, bias and dogma are really the things that are our biggest problems. They're kind of like the parents to ignorance and arrogance. And people think uh, wrongly in my mind that just reading books is going to save you. I would say, yes, just pick up books and read like crazy and you're going to, it's going to ex expand your awareness. But I would take it one step further and make sure you read things that expose you to new ideas, especially when you have beliefs 
that may be keeping you stuck. An example would be, let's say you believe in visualization and manifestation like I do. Then you read some books that, you know, poke holes in that argument. And guess what? Your visualization and manifestation will probably get stronger as a result. And so books are huge. Uh, I, I just think a lot of people are reading them wrong. We have this idea of like, read, you know, read a book a week, you know, and read, you know, to me, I read like crazy, but it takes me for a book that I love, a book that really touches me. It takes me a month to read. I read it again and again. I highlight it. I, uh, and then I seek out other books that challenge me in that way. So I, that's how I do it. And I just, uh, it's, I, I love that you asked about books because I get asked about this all the time. And it seems like, you know, um, people are like, well, how many books should I be reading? How, you know, what kind of books should I be reading? And all of that kind of stuff. And I just wanted to give you my take on that because I see a lot of times, you know, people just reading all the books that reinforce their beliefs, none of the books that challenge their beliefs and also trying to rush through books just to get a trophy and be like, Ooh, I, I read that book. I finished that book. I think that if you're really going to use reading uh, to your advantage, you really want to do it from a place again of purpose, uh, trying to find the truth and uh, flushing that out. If that makes sense. It's been a huge thing for me. This is fascinating for me. Uh, I'm growing right now in the moment because I'm very guilty and I didn't even realize it of only choosing the books that seem interesting to me and will support what I want to believe. I've never chosen books on purpose to listen to the you know opposite argument of what I believe to either maybe make me more open or even solidify even further what I do believe. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, you know, it's one of these things. But I'll tell you guys something that's funny. So, um, Let's take Hitler, for example. Right. You know, I guess we all would say he's arguably, you know, regarded as the most evil person, you know, on uh, the planet. And, you know, so, you know, delve into, you know, reading some of his history. Do you know he was one of the first people to uh, he was a vegetarian, number one. He was an avid environmentalist. He, uh, you know, did more for the German laws, puts all kinds of German laws to save animals and this, this, and this. And the interesting thing about it, so why is that beneficial, right? It's beneficial because it just opens your eyes a little bit to be like, isn't that a more interesting story about this man who I agree is probably one of the most evil men uh, in history, but it tells us a little bit more about uh, his character and humans in general when we read about this other side of things. Now take that into business, right? And sort of understand, you know, like, you know, something like we understand Steve Jobs is way more interesting. The fact that we know he was this powerful creator, but also not a really nice guy in a lot of ways. And this kind of stuff is a really, uh, to me, opens up your mind in ways that just reading things that only agree with you, uh, you know, can't. And so I think that's just an important thing. But I think to your point, you read first and, and make that a habit because then the next advanced tactic, I think, is then purposely exposing yourself to things uh, that you don't necessarily agree with. And that will change your life big time. This is all fascinating. I can tell I'm not even going to have enough time. We're going to have to do another episode at some point to get as deep as we want to get on all these amazing things that, that you're full of in terms of knowledge. So I, I, I want to take this a slightly different direction quick because of all the men I know in the world you are one of the most, if not the most, in touch with and educated on emotion and men versus women. And it's something that you study and it's something that you're very aware of. So I'm curious, do you see differences in the way that men and women view money and wealth and success? Or 
does it just come down to us as individuals, regardless of gender? Uh, I definitely see differences. I definitely see differences. I think, uh, you know, some of them are very apparent. Uh, for example, women in business are uh, far less uh, likely to want to hoard their secrets, a little less likely to, you know, want to claim, you know, ownership over ideas. Uh, they're just a little bit more inclusive, which makes sense from an evolutionary perspective, right? Because women, whereas men were, you know, small bands or sometimes, you know, uh, you know, sort of very, uh, you know, alone uh, in, in their sort of social structure and more physically oriented, women were very present in their social structure uh, with other women uh, in terms of the bands and the community and, and uh, helping with mothering and that kind of stuff. I think that does roll over into business. I think women are far more inclusive, uh, more open to collaboration, all of those kinds of things. But I also think that uh, men uh, have benefits as well. And obviously us men are getting kind of hammered as we probably should be currently because you know, for so long uh, we have sort of uh, not really talked about the strengths of women and only talked about the, the strengths of men. But you know, some of the strengths of men are our ability to focus our ability to, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, have this sort of resilience, you know, sort of in our ability to um, be 100% getting knocked down, knocked down, knocked down, and just go, go, go. But I also think these kind of dichotomies get us in big trouble because I know women uh, in business who are more like focused and resilient and dogmatic and than I am. And I also know men who are very flexible like women. So I do think we have to be very careful to make these generalizations, but I do think there are some differences. Here's, here's one thing I'll say from my work in the work that I'm doing right now that I think is a big difference when it comes to emotions. And there's this idea of, you know, uh, Brene Brown, I've read all her books. I don't know, do you like her, Chris? You read her books? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so she's amazing, right? She has this concept of vulnerability, which, you know, I'm probably gonna get in big trouble here, but I'm just gonna come out and say it. And again, you know, this is just the way I think, but I don't think this applies well to men. I think that it, it, uh, it emasculates men to some degree uh, to use that term. A, and a vulnerable woman is different than what a vulnerable man is. I think that you know, what we want to say with men, here's how come I say this. You don't know how many women I've talked to because a lot of the work I do now is in, relationship, in the relationship realm. And I oftentimes hear women talking about two things. They're like, I want my man to be present, tell me how he feels, share with me, communicate with me. I want him to be there for me and this, that, and this. And then I hear on the other side of that from women that they say things like, you know, he just complains, seems to complain all the time. He's, you know, not in his power. He's all these kind of things. And I would say it's because you're asking for two different things. A man's strength is his ability to shut the hell up, go to work, get the job done and focus. That's what a man does. That's part of his strength. His strength is not in, let me talk about all these things, right? Let me talk about my feelings constantly. So I would say that women need to be, they have that vulnerability strength. I would say that men need to be, call it openness, be open. In other words, if your girl asks you about how you're feeling, don't say, I'm, you know, I'm fine. Or I'm, you know, if you're struggling with business, just say it, but you don't dwell on it. You don't, you know, complain about it. You don't go on and on about it. You say it once or twice, you know, I'm feeling this particular way. I'm in touch with that, blah, blah, blah. But then you get back to work. I think this is important that we look at this because I think what I'm seeing with a lot of men 
is that they can easily fall into this pattern where they feel like it doesn't feel right for me to sit around and talk about my feelings all the time. I want to go get to work and do something about it. So I would say women, you know, uh, are the vulnerable and men should be more open is a better thing. You know, say how you feel, talk about it, but then get to work. And I think that more explains some of the differences, uh, you know, with with uh, money, if that makes sense. You know, so you, I'm kind of delving into personal relationships and things like that. But I think it has everything to do with uh, how we show up in the world as well. I don't I don't think that sitting in a boardroom, a guy talking about you know, how stressed he is about this, this, and this, and how this bothered him and what this person said also, and I'm feeling this way is very helpful. Um, I, I think it, it can be briefly, and then they need to get to work. And I think that's the same thing with them in their personal life. I feel this way. I'm dealing with this and that, and then get to work. It's fascinating, the, the argument that can be made, how you should pick and choose the different assets that both genders have and try and you know embrace some that you've been given and, and maybe be more open to the ones that you weren't. So are you saying that we need to be a hybrid of both to be, become this perfect human? Not that there's such a thing, but you know what I mean? That's it. Yeah, that, you, you said it way better than I could. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's like, look, the feminine uh, you know, way of approaching things is uh, just genius in, in, in what it is, being vulnerable, being open, being collaborative, being in touch, right? very feminine qualities. For too long, women have tried to take those qualities and put them aside and become more male-like in, in business and with money, right? Focused and driven and all that kind of stuff. And that's gotten them in trouble. They, they maybe went too far with it. I would say that men have never done that and probably need to, which is why I think you're hearing things like men should be more vulnerable and you know be, be more in touch and that kind of stuff. I would just say that I think for men, and I would ask you, Chris, you know, um, what you think of this, uh, and, you know, me, I'm always just like, I, I just like to hear other people's point of view. For me, I think when a man hears vulnerability, they hear weakness. When a woman hears vulnerability, they hear strength. And so to me, I'm just it's semantics to a large degree to get men to pay attention. Don't worry about the word vulnerability. Think about being an open man. That is a more that's something that men can be can grasp and be a little bit more in touch with. Yeah, I can be open for sure. I don't know that I want to be vulnerable, though. And those are the kind of things. So, yes, we need to meet in the middle. Women, you know, have learned to kind of be a little bit more uh, take on some of the, the more masculine traits. And some women are more masculine than men and some men are more feminine than women. We, we, we have this dichotomy here. But I think in general, moving to the middle when it comes to making money and using the best of both worlds is really where where it's at. I mean, I have I have gained so much from being more in touch with, you know, in my feminine openness, my emotions, saying how I feel and exploring those things versus just stuffing it and running and putting my head down and plowing through. And I would also say that women, uh, many of the women I've talked to have also benefited from being a little less, uh, you know, sort of open and in touch with their feelings and getting consumed with that and a little bit more focused and driven like a man. And I do think that business and money seems to again the bell-shaped curve being in the middle there's so i think you're better off uh, uh, as a hybrid between the two it's fascinating because i'm hearing you say that we would make more money as men if we were more in our feminine once in a while in business am i correct absolutely i i, I think that's absolutely true <laughs> because here's what we do what think about this right me and you you know there's a guy and a girl you guys answer this question and they're both Everything's the same. They're, they're dealing with their business and they run into a problem with their business, right? 
we all know the saying that the worst business is the one that is almost there, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you either want one that's failing really quickly or succeeding. You don't want the one that's almost there. Well, I'll tell you what I find interesting. A man who's dealing with an almost there business and a woman who's dealing with an almost there business, who do you think is going to pivot faster, the man or the woman? The woman. The woman. We all know that. And so that's what I'm saying about men. It's like being in touch with sort of the emotional aspects of this and being more open and a little less dogmatic and a little less sure and all that kind of stuff and being able to pivot is essential. I've seen so many, and I know you have too, like my whole business uh, made it because of my ability to pivot and pivot quick and go in a ton of different directions until I found something that stick, stuck. And I've seen men and women both not be able to pivot. I've just usually seen women pivot more and I think it's a naturally feminine trait to be more flexible. So yes, I think men could benefit from that. I also think that we would all know for, you know, you have two business people, one who's trying to come up with a million ideas and always has a different idea and is always going in one direction or the next direction. And you're kind of like, hey, focus. What do you think that one's going to be usually in more general generalizing, but usually that's going to be a more female oriented entrepreneur versus a more male oriented entrepreneur, you know? Men are better at the focus aspect. Women are better at the holistic, global, seeing the big picture aspect. We need to meet in the middle. Now, again, generalizations, and I'm get, probably getting in trouble with either guys or girls making these generalizations, but these things hold true in psychology. So this is an opinion I'm talking about. This stuff is borne out in the psychology research. This is how our brains are somewhat different, yet we can uh, train because we have access to both of these so we can train ourselves to be better in this regard What's so fascinating about this? I I wish this was a video podcast instead of an audio because if people could see you You know with your shaved head and you're you're like a walking ad for <laughs> testosterone saying we need to be more in our feminine to be successful It's it's great Like that's all it would take to, to convince guys to be a little bit more in their feminine in order to be more successful It's awesome. All right. Listen, do you have a hard stop right now? Or do you have time for a couple more questions? No, no, I got, I'm, I'm ready, man. Let's go. All I right. love this stuff, man, as you know. So you make a ton of money, and, and you alluded to this earlier. That's why I'm bringing it up. You make a ton of money, but in the time that I've known you, you have never, ever been a flashy guy. Like, total simple dude with nice but simplistic things. I don't Do you even own a car? I don't think I've ever seen you drive. Do you have a car? <laughs> <laughs> I just I just got a car. It's interesting. I agonized over getting a I was gonna buy the range, the top of the line Range Rover. Uh, you know, and I was like and then I was like, you know what? I'm not I just not gonna spend that money on that car. Um, you know, and I went and got myself a used uh, Q seven. See, that's what I mean. Okay, so so no <laughs> no flash whatsoever. And then there's me. I love nice stuff. I have a Ferrari and all this other stuff. Yet yeah. you and I are such good friends. Why do yeah. you think that we can be so different when it comes to um, what we do with our wealth and yeah. yet such great friends? Oh, because I, I think we're exactly the same, actually. It's funny, like, to see that, right? People focus on things like flashy cars and big houses and all that kind of stuff. I would argue you and I are spending the same amount of our wealth on the things that, that we love and bring us joy. I spend an in, in, inordinate amount of money on art. You know, I love art and I'm into that kind of stuff. And, you know, so I spend my money on things that are just every bit as flashy and every bit as, you know, sort of um, just things that are just pleasurable for me uh, as you do. It's just that I think 
uh, it so happens, it just turns out that for you, you fit more into the cliche of like, oh, the guy who has, you know, the fancy cars. I think anyone who knows you knows that you appreciate the engineering, the art. You see cars as art the same way I see art as on my wall. And so for you, owning a car is not like, hey, look at me in this car. It's, you know, I'm sure there's part of that because I mean, same with me. I mean, I like when people come and admire my artwork in my house. I mean, I don't think any human is devoid of, hey, look at me. We all have that. You have it. I have it. Everyone listening to this has it. But I know from, you know, both of us appreciate your car is like art for you. Uh, It's something that you love. You admire cars. You know, if you're out with Chris, you know, he's going to admire everyone's car. It's sort of like admiring my artwork. And so I don't really see it as any different. And you know what, Chris, it brings up a really important point to me. um, I, I would say that one of the keys to wealth is to get over that. I have to deal with this with my family all the time. Why are you spending your money on that? You know, why are you? I remember I, I hired my sister as my personal assistant. She actually turned out to be the best personal assistant I've ever had. And the first time she booked a hotel for me, she was like, Jade, you realize that's a $700 room, right? I mean, you can't spend that much money on a hotel. Like, you know, it's like my, and I just said, Jody, I love you, but you're going to have to realize that this is sort of the life I live. And part of me doing that part, helps me make more money and help more people. Without being able to have that, I, it, I wouldn't be as driven. I wouldn't be as um, purposeful. I wouldn't want other people to have that same experience. I do the same thing for my family. If you know me, I'm, I, I send people away on vacations. I sent two of my friends to Paris recently. I mean, to me, it's like those things that we entrepreneurs or these stories we have in our head about these things we're spending our money on, I, I just I think that is a big, big problem. I, I know because I came from a lower middle class family who was of this budgeting mindset, save everything, don't spend on this and that. And it wasn't until I was like, not only do I want to do this, but I deserve these things. These these things are what helps me make more money, help more people live a more, uh, you know, uh, amazing and tasteful life. And uh I don't know. I know some people have such a hard time with that, but I believe it to my core. And I know I, I, I know you do as well. I totally do. I, matter of fact, here's what I believe. And, and I hope this is a wake up call for some people that struggle with this. And that is if all you concentrate on is where can I cut back? Can I cut back here? Can I cut back there? Can I cut back here? Can I cut back there in order to feel like you have a little extra money? Then really all you're going to get is cutting back and be, you're going to wake up one day. There's nothing else you can peel back on. And you're going to be what we would you know, consider broke or strapped or whatever. Whereas if your focus is, how do I get bigger? How do I get bigger? How do I add more revenue? How do I add more money? Concentrating on that, whether you spend a lot of it or not, will w- make you wake up one day with this massive revenue generating machine as opposed to just cut back, cut back, cut back, get smaller. Yeah, let me, I'll tell you guys this story because uh, I, I know exactly the day that I uh, became, you know, I, I guess, quote, rich or whatever, where I, I, I basically, my income became way more than the average income, right? I know when the day was. I had all the same education. I was actually working harder uh, on things. And it came on a day where I decided to make an investment uh, and not save. And here was the investment. I had the opportunity to go to an event that was $2,500. At the time, I did not have that money. 
uh, it was I had to go on credit cards and I was already in, in credit card debt. But I I had this budgeting mindset sort of ahead of that. And I was like, no, I can't afford that. It's not. And then I, I forget, you know, obviously I'd been reading all these books and I forget what it was. I'm sure it was just a cumulative thing that happened for me. But I was, you know, it's the cliche statement now. I'm sure you guys have heard this, but I was like, you can't really afford not to do this. And of course, I picked that up along the way through my reading, working with mentors, watching people. And once I did that, it created a spiral effect because, again, just like reading a book that you agree with and then reading a book that you don't agree with and, and what that does for your brain and the, the leap that it gives you mentally, investing that $2,500 in me and my education to learn, and by the way, this was the beginning of my education into internet business. After that, I was, it's probably spending more money, but I was investing it on myself or in my business and I, it started to turn around. Now I'll say this because, um, you can't, a lot of people do this. This is the one difference, the caveat, because I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and some of them could get stuck with this. What I'm not saying is go spend some money and just expect it to turn around. I spent the money invested in myself. And as a result of doing that, I had it within me, the drive and said, I have to make that money up somewhere else. That's the first thing. And the other thing I realized was I could not have afforded, this is information that had I not had, I would still be doing the same old thing and be just spinning my wheels. And so there were two things there. You can't just spend money and then not do it. I spent the money, immersed myself in it, learned it. It's just like reading a book. You don't spend the money on a book and then try to get through it in a week just to say I read the book. You spend the money on the book. You read it. You read it again. You take, you know, you take notes. You get everything you can out of that book. And then you put it down and pick up the next one. Same thing here. You don't just spend money on conferences after conferences after conferences expecting to get it. You spend the money. You do the work. You drive. And you also realize that had I not spent that money, I never would have gotten that information that elevated me to the next level. That, to me, is the difference. When I was in a budgeting mindset, it, it just was uh, you know, I never could make ends meet. It wasn't until I said, hey, I'm going to start spending on myself and on my business investing that things turn around. The one area where you and I definitely have things in common is generosity. What role has generosity played in your business and in your success? Dude, it's everything. And, and here's why I'll tell you it's everything. I, because I, like many people listening to this, grew up with a money is bad mindset. And so sometimes I even think, Jade, wow, you're just so generous because it's giving you permission to make money. You know, sometimes I just think it's as simple as that. But the truth of the matter is, and I think it started out like that. I think it started out, I wanted to be a generous person, so I just started being generous. And it was a little bit selfish at that time because I just wanted people to be like, Jade's generous and thank me. And, you know, but I kind of made this mental tick mark in my head back then. They owe me, right? And now that is disgust. that whole idea is disgusting to me. Now I give because it is actually kind of selfish on my part in a different way. Because I feel like when I give, I can get. And you want to know something else I'm working on? Uh, this, this, I'll just admit this to everybody because it's, it's funny to me. Um, I used to also be someone who would not take anything. I would give, 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 and then not receive. Um, and now, recently, over the last couple of years, I was like, you know, what an ass you are, Jade. Because you get so much out of giving when you give and someone allows you to give something to them, you know, uh, and they trust that you're never going to say you owe me or even think anything of it. Why would you deny someone the ability to give in that way to you? 
And so now I've actually, as I've evolved my generosity, now I look at it and be like, wow, you know, um, one of the best gifts I can give someone is allow them to give to me. Isn't that funny? It's just funny how things come around. But now I, generosity is literally my religion. And I do believe for me, whether it's true or not, that it is what allows abundance to come to me. And I know you and I share that belief. It's one of the things that I most uh, admire in you. And it's one of the things that you inspire me the most with is like when I look at kind of how you live your life, I'm like, mm, I want to be as generous as that. I want to um, be able to do that. Because to me, that, isn't that the problem that we typically have? We believe that if someone has money, that they are you know, somehow a miser and Scrooge. When actually some of the wealthiest people I know, they're the most generous people I know. I mean, you you fall into that category. And I hope I do, too. Not for accolades, not so people can be like, oh, Jade, you're so generous. Not not for any of that, but for two reasons. One, it's what I feel like gives me permission to have an abundant life. And two, I just feel like it's what I'm on the planet to do. It's amazing because I, I've got the simple theory, and that is the more that you put out into the system of money, then the more robust that system of money will be in order to pay you back dividends. And I'm not saying you give to get, I'm just saying you happen to get more because you are giving more into the very same system that's going to give you more. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. And I think it, it bears truth. Actually, it's funny that the, there's a book called Sapiens. I don't know if you guys have read it, but there's a discussion about the history of capitalism and money. And that was the, the idea. As, as much as we might think that uh, some of the, what goes on in the world is, is you know, people hoarding money, and I think there is some of that going on, as, as, the, as the economy grows, everyone, poverty is still there, but poverty looks very different now. And pretty much every, and you go to the worst impoverished area of the world right now, and it looks a little different than what it looked like you know, a thousand years ago, partly because of what we are doing with the economy. There's gonna be messes along the way, right? But eventually I do believe that in you know the microcosm and the macrocosm, everybody uh, benefits from this. You're always gonna have people who have more and people who have less, but living across the board for people is getting better and better and better. And I think that's another example of what you're talking about. In other words, history bears that out as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I always do this uh, section called Two Minutes of Bragging, and, and its aim is to inspire people to give more and to be more unapologetic about it. Because right now we give in the dark, and I can't stand that. Because when you keep it to yourself, you can't inspire others to go out and do it as well. So what is one of your all-time favorite moments of giving? Uh, it, it's easily what I just I just mentioned. I have, I have a very good friend um, who uh, her dream was to go to Paris. She's an artist. She, you know, um, and she's, her story is of the starving artist, a story I'm trying to get her to change because I don't think it's a very good story. It's a very, it's a story almost like the dumb jock story. Mm -hmm. So she's the starving artist story. And uh, Paris was her dream. And she talked to me about it several times. And I also kind of knew she really didn't want to go alone. So her friend who also is sort of a starving actress as well, another starving artist. I sent both of them to Paris and it was uh, amazing to me. It was more of a gift to me to have someone trust me, someone who I don't really know. These are people who I don't really know that well and I'm not romantic with them. <laughs> so <laughs> for them to trust me to be like, uh, this guy is gonna send us to Paris and has no, uh, you know, he doesn't want anything for it. Yeah, what's the catch, you know, right? That, that was my one of my all-time favorite things because it's one of these tangible 
things to just be able to see how it changed them when they got back. I get to travel. You get to travel. We know what it's like. And to be able to do that for somebody and have them accept it was, uh, I don't know, just uh, so incredible. And the second one would be uh, my brother Keone. Uh, those, of you, those who follow me don't realize that my brother Keone is one of these guys that he's, he's, he's more generous than I am. He's, he's worked his ass off in the background to help me with my company. He's just one of these guys that silently helps, never needs any accolades, uh, is just out in front constantly. And uh, he, he also had a car that was like, he's one of these guys, he, he still has some of the lower middle class budgetary mindset. So he never is going to get himself anything nice. So the ability to get, get him and my sister Jody both cars uh, was uh, pretty cool. And to have them accept it from their younger brother, I think is even cooler. Because that, that could go wrong, right? Where it's like, hey, I'm the younger brother and I'm giving you all this stuff. And that was pretty neat to do as well. That's funny. I, I feel the exact same way about my brother. He's the cog behind the scenes that makes everything run and we'd be screwed without him. Aren't we blessed to have those people in our life? Uh, it's it's incredible. And, you know, it's um, I don't even know. It, it almost it gives me goosebumps and almost tears to think about, you know, sort of the people who are behind the scenes that never get to sort of, you know, be out in the limelight. And they don't they don't want to. You know what I mean? And it's and it's interesting, I guess. I don't know that even you and I necessarily want to be influencers. I just think that we are, uh, you know, naturally suited to do it and sort of like that's what we're going to do. But I think there's so many people who, um, you know, their their purpose is in the in the support category. They're, they're every bit as important, I think actually more important than what I do, what my brother has done for me and my family has done. But uh, we don't, uh, you know, sort of oftentimes celebrate this. And I, I'll say this one, one more time. When you're, this is what I think happens with people. When we're thinking about purpose, oftentimes we get lost in this thing where I got to create something magical. I got to create a book or write this or do that or make all this money. When actually my favorite people are the people like my father, who he made a choice to be the best father possible. He, he basically, uh, the reason we were lower middle class, because my dad chose to focus on family over career. Had he focused on career, he would not have been the father he was to me or my, my kids. I wouldn't have been able to do, or my siblings rather, I wouldn't have been able to do any of what I went through. He paid, put four kids through college on a middle class salary. Um, and that was his purpose. He wasn't someone who at the end of his life could say, I wrote a book or this, this and that, and I have all this money, but he has something way more powerful. He's like, look at the, the energetic ripple I put out into the world with these four kids who have not only made a difference, but have spread kindness and generosity and essentially show up in the world in the way that he taught us. And I think that is important because in the end, no matter how much money you're making, that's ultimately the legacy that you're going to leave. No one's going to count up your dollars at the end of the day. My dad's legacy is far more powerful in that regard. It's just not really celebrated That's as it should be. Fascinating. The, the world says thank you to your dad for you know kicking out such amazing kids that are changing the world. That's for sure. So before I get to the last question, where can we find you? Like, what's next? What should we know? Everyone's going to want to you know get a hold of you. Where should we follow you? Yeah, it's just very easily. I'm, I spend a lot of my time on Instagram, at Jade Tita on Instagram. Go follow me there. I post on health, fitness, mindset. Um, that's where you can find me. I'll answer your questions and just love connecting people there. Yeah, guys, he's fascinating. Relationships, money, business, body, you name it. Like, you, you, Very few people can know so much about so much, but 
but Jay does it, and he's fascinating the way that he, he kicks it out there in terms of content. All right, last question, buddy, and that is, why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of success and wealth? Very simply, I believe everyone on this planet is here for a reason, and that that reason often has very little to do with you alone. It's not a self-centered reason. This is my belief. It's usually because you are meant to be here to make your contribution on the world. My whole thing, I usually say, if you're not here to help, then why the hell are you here? And I think that your ability to make money basically is your ability to touch people. Money is nothing to me but uh, a an energetic pat on the back that essentially says, you're doing your purpose, you're spreading the good, here you go, now do some more of it. You can't do it otherwise. Man, I love that. Perfect answer, perfect way to wrap this up. Dude, you dropped so much content, I can't say thank you enough, and, and on behalf of all the listeners, just the biggest amount of gratitude ever for the last, what, hour and 10 minutes? That's wild. Yeah, and let me just say this to you, man. I mean, like, honestly, I know, I know you hear it a lot, but... Uh, so much love and gratitude for you, man. I mean, like you, you just are an inspiration to me. So many people. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your work. You're just the bomb, brother. And uh, we love you. Man, right back at you. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.